Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is session four of This Means War, a new weekly podcast series on Bible battles that symbolize contemporary situations. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In this fourth episode, we will examine the battle Joshua and his men fought against an alliance of five kings for the symbolism it holds for modern Christians faced with fighting evil. Then we'll see how other Old and New Testament verses support that symbolism. So to remind you, episode one showed us that prayer is an important component of spiritual warfare. Episode two showed us that patience is key. Episode three showed us that purity of heart is also essential. And now in this fourth episode, we will look at the role of pronouncement or using words out loud as we confront the problem. So come with me to Joshua, the ninth chapter, for a little background before our story in chapter 10. And Joshua and his men have already had victories over Jericho and Ai. And the nearby city-state of Gibeon, in their fear, has sent a delegation of men to lie to Joshua and the Israelites and say that they were from a very far away place asking to form an alliance with them. Joshua didn't consult the Lord. He just swore by the Lord's name that he would not harm them and that they would be military friends. And the result was that they found out later that the people actually lived close by and were supposed to have been among those that the Lord had asked them to conquer. It was too late. They had invoke the Lord's name in a solemn vow, and they couldn't go back on their word. So here we are in Joshua chapter 10. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhiah, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because... It has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So you see here the classic, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And instead of forming an alliance and going up directly against Israel, they are going up against Israel's new friend, the Gibeonites, to draw Israel out from Gilgal, which wasn't that far from Jericho. It was just to the west of the Jordan River. So we continue with verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops 
and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, and note these three things, they will come back. Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. That was about 20 miles. So if you can imagine being up all day and then strapping on the things you would need for a battle and marching in the dark over unknown territory all night long, and then engaging in a battle. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. But now we come to the important part. Remember, this fourth episode was supposed to be about using pronouncement or speaking to the problem when you're facing a battle. Verse 12, On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. So this momentous story, unique in all of Scripture, shows us three important things that I want to speak about briefly each one. God's word to man, man's responsive faith, and then man's word of faith in battle that leads to victory. The first one, God's word to man, is shown in Joshua 10, verse 8, where the Lord said to Joshua those three things, Don't be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So he made it very clear to Joshua that this was a done deal. Even though it was in the future, he specifically said, I have given them into your hand as though it were in the past because God is outside of time. And Joshua now knows that this is exactly what he is supposed to be doing and that he will be victorious. Reminds me of what David said in Psalm 33, 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Isaiah 42, 9 reads, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. 
what former things had come to pass? Well, in the Torah, we read how God told Moses and then Joshua ahead of time that they would be victorious in Canaan. And other times he spoke to the prophets about something that was going to occur. Like when he warned Jeremiah that Babylon would come against Jerusalem because the people had been disobedient for so many years. And then in Isaiah, the Lord gave prophecies about the coming Messiah, and now we can look back in retrospect and see that those things too came to pass exactly as he said. In Isaiah 55, 11, we read, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Paul said in Romans 4, 17 in the New Testament, speaking first of all of Abraham being the spiritual father of Gentiles, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead. And then he says this important phrase, and calls into being things that were not. That's what God does. He speaks about things, and then they come to pass. God's word to man. And so we have today his word to us on many different subjects. He lays out for us what he wants for his people. And that brings us to point number two, man's responsive faith. There is not a place in Joshua 10 where it specifically says, then faith rose up in Joshua's heart, or Joshua believed that God would do what he said. It simply says in verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. But do you see how that is Joshua's faith? He was so certain after the Lord told him those three things in the eighth verse, don't be afraid of them, I have given them into your hand, not one of them will be able to withstand you, that he and his men marched 20 miles in the dark, and then in the morning when they couldn't have been very fresh after being up for 24 hours, they engaged in battle. That is faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And you skip down to the, uh, the sixth verse of that 11th chapter, and we read, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is a vital component in this getting to the place where you can actually speak to the problem and expect that it will cause a change. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Well, that's what happened in this Joshua story. God gave Joshua a word and Joshua then had faith and acted on what the Lord had said. As in James 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What good would it have done Joshua and his men if they had said, 
Thank you, Lord. We believe we will be victorious, but they had never left their camp or gone to battle. Then we get to the third and main focus point of this story, man's word of faith in battle. Joshua 10, 12 and 13 says, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. That almost seems like a contradiction because the first phrase of Joshua 10:12 is Joshua said to the Lord. But the second phrase starts out, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So which was it? Was Joshua talking to the Lord, or was he speaking to the sun and the moon? Well, the sun and the moon are created objects and they're not living, and they don't have a consciousness, and they can't hear. And so even though he was addressing them, this was actually a form of prayer. And it was the Lord's power, not the sun and the moon's decision, that the day was extended. And of course, also, we understand that day and night is created by the earth spinning on its axis, not the sun moving across the sky, but we still use words like sunset and sunrise. And so the point is that something changed with the normal pattern of day and night, and the celestial bodies were affected by the word of Joshua because it was spoken in faith according to the will of God. Isaiah 28:21 says, as it recalls this particular story, for the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perazim. He will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon that he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. So we have a little extra piece of information that it was God's judgmental wrath in this case after hundreds of years of mercy on the people in the land of Canaan who had been practicing all forms of idolatry and offering their own children as sacrifices that caused him to act and give Joshua the victory. I'm thinking now about the word of faith in battle that Jesus demonstrated when he was tempted after he had fasted for 40 days in the wilderness at the beginning of his earthly ministry, and Satan tempted him three times recorded in Luke chapter 4, every time he responded by speaking out loud to Satan, the problem, with a direct quote from one of the books of the Jewish law or the Torah, actually it was Deuteronomy using chapters 6 and 8, he would say, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, or it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, or it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When he was out in a boat with his disciples and a storm threatened to sink the ship, Jesus, in Mark 4, awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the sea then grew calm. 
aren't we called to walk in the footsteps of Christ? In Mark 11, it's even more clearly spelled out. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, you see that speaking to the problem, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And here again, we have what seems to be a contradiction. First, Jesus says that we should speak to the mountain and tell it be taken up and thrown into the sea. Then he goes a little further and says, therefore, I tell you whatever you ask in prayer. So are we supposed to speak to the mountain, or are we supposed to kneel down and say, dear Lord... I am asking you to remove this mountain. If you are convinced that what you need from God is according to His will, you can speak to the problem in faith and consider it a form of prayer, just as Joshua did. We also see this at work in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Jesus has already ascended into heaven after His resurrection. But the brand new church hasn't even separated from Judaism yet. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, then Peter said, look at us. I like that he insisted on eye contact because how many times do we avert our eyes when someone is asking us for money? So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It's interesting to me that instead of kneeling down and putting his hand on the man's shoulder and saying, Dear Lord, I am asking you please to heal this man's ankles so that he can walk, he simply said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What bold faith, speaking to the problem according to the will of God as a way to fight against the evil one. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul quotes Psalm 116.10, and he says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, and here comes his reference to Psalm 116.10, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Paul understood the principle. You believe something, and it causes you to speak out in faith. When I was in high school, there was a problem in a math class where some of the guys in the class were rebelling against the teacher. She would try to teach the lesson, and they would simply tell her that we weren't having class that day, and they would open up bags that had 
chips and dip and pop, and they would say, today is a party, and she was powerless to stop them. I came home distressed about that after it happened on several occasions and talked to my mom about it, and I remember her getting a hold of the Lord and speaking to that problem and commanding that that be changed because we knew that it was not God's will for a teacher's class to be held hostage like that while no learning was going on and the boys were in rebellion. And do you know, the next day, that stopped. She somehow grew a spine and told them that was never going to happen again, and she got busy with the business of teaching that class. So I saw in action that this principle does work. The point is, when you're in a battle, you can use pronouncement. You can speak God's word to the problem and expect that he will honor his word and you will have victory. If this has been a blessing to you, pass it along.